Thank you, Allie. Thank you, team. Join with Susanna and welcome each of you here today. And you may be sitting there and trying to figure out what is different about uh, the stage today. Uh, this was pre-COVID ordered, and you see two screens up there. And we felt it was important for you to have Bill and stereo. <laughs> and I so appreciate Jeremy and uh, his team and all the work uh, involved. I was amazed to watch how these guys come in and do this. But it's just to enhance our worship. And again, it was pre-COVID, and they couldn't do any work until this past week. So way to go, team. Uh, we are in this sermon series called Overwhelmed. Do you have that feeling? Anybody in here just feel like it's more you can do, more than you can get done? I know I feel that way so often. If there ever was a time that that word seems to fit the emotional state of our nation, yeah, it's now. Uh, there seems to be a heaviness, there seems to be a weariness, uh, a darkness that is over our nation. And what is over our nation seems to filter down into our everyday life. And so we realize that as we uh, understand this cloud of heaviness that cause it seems to win the day. And because it wins the day, it captures our mind and it also captures our heart. That's the reason that we created this sermon series called Overwhelmed. Because with that sense of being overwhelmed, we understand the emotions of stress, of negativity, of worry, and also of loneliness. Everything that we're talking about uh, during this month around this series called Overwhelmed. Uh, these very topics are important for us to address. How do we deal with it? But more importantly, how do we deal with it with a God-honoring way? Uh, so far in the series, we've looked at stress. We have looked at negativity. So today, we are talking about worry. Anybody in here uh, worried? Uh, we all are. We may be worried about the coronavirus. Uh, we could be worried about uh, finances. We could be worried about the health of a loved one. We could be worried about our own health. We could be worried about taking a test. We could be worried about school. Uh, there are so many things that we worry about. We could even be worried about how long is this guy going to preach today? Am I going to get out, on, out of uh, church on time? I don't know what your worry is, but I wonder which picture that you see on the screen best describes you. So let's look at the first one. You may look and see that I identify with this guy that is just biting my nails. Uh, maybe uh, you identify with this next one where you're realizing that your anxiety grows uh, more than you do in life. The one I identify the best with is this next one with the blank stare. <laughs> and we all can identify with this one. It's, which is that? I mean, that's what worry does to us, right? And so as we look at worry today and being overwhelmed, let's begin here. Uh, let's identify what worry is because worry can be a three-pronged stool of life. You're going to see that on the screen. And we see each one of these elements in life. So let's talk about fear. 
Fear is something that we all have, and usually when we talk about uh, fear, we're talking about an it. We're talking about an object. Uh, we're talking about something that we are afraid of. So turn to your neighbor and tell your neighbor what you are afraid of right now. And hopefully it's not talking to strangers. Okay? What are you afraid of? Just a moment. You see, we might have fear of snakes. Hmm. <laughs> Uh, we might have fear of spiders. We might have a fear of height. Uh, we might have fear of lions, tigers, and bears. Oh, my. As we grow older, sometimes we grow out of these fears. But fear usually is object-oriented. We are afraid of something in life. And that brings us to worry. A second leg of our stool Worry is about something uh, when we're not looking at objects like lions and tigers and snakes. Uh, we understand that worry uh, is something that occupies our mind about the future. For instance, we might worry about uh, something that's happening to our loved one. We might worry about a situation at work. We might worry about our financial uh, circumstances, a health concern. We may be worried about uh, our loneliness or being alone, something that we'll talk about next week. Worry usually is about something that is in the future. While fear is about an it, an object, worry is future-oriented. That brings us to anxiety. Anxiety is a leg of the stool where we get stuck, we get hung up in the second leg of the stool. A perpetual uh, state of worry. That's what anxiety is. We're anxious about the future stuff that we named. The health issues, uh, the loved one, uh, taking a te test. So what is uh, my own health concern? So because it's a perpetual state of worry, anxiety builds. And there's all kind of factors that lend themselves to that anxiety that we have. It can be our environment. It can be our uh, genetics. It can also be life experiences. It can be personality that lends itself to our anxiousness. I found this st statistic that was very interesting in preparing for today. And it said this. Uh, the article said that if you struggle with anxiety, that for you to know uh, that you're not alone. Research shows that 30% of U.S. adults uh, have um, anxiety or an anxiousness that they are struggling with, an anxiety disorder. That means that one quarter of your friends, of your family, of your co-workers, of your colleagues are struggling with this anxiety, uh, this perpetual state of compounding of worry. Now, I don't know which leg of the stool that you identify with the most, whether it's fear, whether it's worry, or whether it is anxiety. Here's some good news. Because in Philippians 4, Paul gives us some advice of how we can address our worry and our anxiousness. Last week, Jonathan used this same text uh, and used it as Paul addressing negativity. Let's look at this text and see what Paul has to say about our worry. It's going to be on the screen, but it's Philippians 4, 4 through 7. 
Here's the word of God. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be, here's that word, anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition. With thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Did you catch Paul's advice? Paul says that we are to rejoice in the Lord always. He said, do not be anxious about anything. He said, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your heart. And we say, easy for you to say, Paul, because you don't know what I'm dealing with. But is that fair to say about Paul? This letter of Philippians is written to a group of people that are suffering, and they're suffering big time. But interesting enough, this letter is also written by a man who is suffering right along beside them as well. And we have to understand that background because that background gives credibility to Paul's words for us as we struggle with our worry, our anxieties. For us to find God's peace that guards our hearts and our minds. Paul wrote to a group of people that were suffering. This group of people at Philippi, uh, they were being persecuted for their faith. They were facing possible arrest and imprisonment. They were facing being outcast of society. And Paul says to them, don't be anxious. Don't give in to that. Don't live under that. While Paul wrote those words, he was under house arrest. He was a prisoner of the Roman Empire. He was waiting for his trial before Caesar. So for life uh, with Paul, it wasn't much better for him than it was for them. Paul wrote these words from a place of understanding of his own life. Now, why that's important for us to understand is for us to look at what Paul does with this letter to the Philippians. Turn back to chapter 1 in Philippians. There you can read this first chapter, and Paul references the chains that he finds himself wearing. As he is writing this letter, uh, Paul knew that this was not the first time that he had been in prison or that he had been in chains. Not at all. It happened to him the first time that he came to Philippi. And we find that story of the first time he came to Philippi that's in Acts 16. What happened then? Well, Paul... He comes to Philippi. He is preaching. Uh, people are experiencing salvation. They are being transformed. Then everything stops. Because a demon-possessed girl comes, and she was one who could prophesy and say things that sounded so God-like. But they were false. And Paul goes up to her. And he cast out that demon. He cast the demon from her. She was a slave. She was a property of two men that were making money off of her soothsaying abilities. So the owners of the girl, they get very angry because they just lost their income. And so they bring Paul and they bring Silas uh, before the ruling government there, the high court of the city. 
And they say, these men, Paul and Silas, they've come to stir up trouble to undo our society and to also be a threat to everyone. So they beat Paul and Silas up. They throw them into prison. They tell the guard, do not let these people uh, be set free because if you do, it will require, require your own life. And so Paul is saying, you saw what I went through. Now what Paul is telling them in Philippians 4, because he's identifying Philippians 1, he's identifying Acts 16, he's saying, you have seen exactly what I have gone through. And he is saying in Philippians 4, do not be anxious, but pray and give thanks and rejoice. He's telling them to do exactly what he did in Acts 16. Paul is saying, do exactly what Silas and I did when we were in prison and persecuted because we were preaching the gospel. He's reminding them, listen, uh, you know how this works? You've seen it firsthand in my life. Uh, you're suffering just like I suffered. Uh, you're suffering for the same gospel, for the same Jesus, for the, by the same persecutors that I suffered with. But you have the same overcoming power that I had then. You have now. So according to Paul, when you... When I, when we feel like we're being attacked by fear, when your mind is captured by worry and anxiety, here's what we do. We are to pray, verse 6. We are to praise, verse 4. It's time to praise God and rejoice. That is what Paul is trying to get them to understand. He is saying, you saw... You saw us do it, and God tore the prison apart. And he didn't just set Silas and me free, but every cell in that prison was unlocked. Every chain broke off. Everyone walked out, and the jailer was saved by God's grace. There ought to be an amen there. You saw it. Paul's trying to get them to understand this stuff works. Prayer works. Praise works. Because the fact of the matter is this. Only one moment in the presence of God undoes, undoes hours and hours of just the stress of worry and anxiety. Just one moment. Two weeks ago, we talked about stress. And one of the spiritual disciplines that we talked about as we addressed stress was a spiritual discipline of prayer for us to find our prayer closet, for us to speak the name of Jesus over those things that occupy our mind and our heart. Prayer serves as a relief valve for stress. Now, according to Paul, in Philippians 4, he is saying the same spiritual discipline of prayer is effective against our worry, our anxiety, our fear. He says, do that. But he added two nuggets. Two nuggets I want us to talk about today. Two nuggets of advice for us as we address our worry and our anxiety. And those two nuggets deal with our praise. In verse 4, rejoice in the Lord and God's peace 
verse 7, which transcends all understanding. So let's talk about that first nugget. Let's talk about that praise of ours, our rejoicing, our worship of our Heavenly Father. Outside of this place, do you do that? Do you? Honestly, do you praise and worship God outside of our corporate gathering? This rejoicing, this praise that Paul lifts up in confronting our worry, do we do that outside of here? Why is that important? Well, it just might be this. Worship or adoration has been described as the most powerful expression a human being is capable of. Let that soak in. Let me say it again. Worship or adoration has been described as the most powerful expression a human being is capable of. That means for us that the highest, most powerful expression that we have in this life on earth is an opportunity to express our love to the one image that is worthy of our praise, and that is Jesus Christ. Think about it like this. When we elevate Christ's worthiness, exalting Him, then in return for our praise and our worship, it is replaced with our joy that we're so desperate for. For me, that simply means that worry is replaced with God's joy. What did Paul say to the Philippians? Chapter 4, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. That's what Paul did in Acts 16. Singing hymns, praising God while in prison, when it would have been so easy to default to worry. For what it's worth, the Hebrew word that we translate out for worship literally means this. To fall or to lie face down before someone on the ground, touching the forehead to the ground. Worship involves bowing and prostrating yourself before someone in humility and it's a demonstration of surrender so for us when we worship we are saying this one this one is worth more this one worship and our praise is a magnification of God and the minimization of self is following the words of John the Baptist he must increase I must decrease if you want to go deeper the words of Jesus as he was entering Jerusalem for the last week of his life. And the, they came to him and they said, get these people to be quiet. And he said, no. Because if they are quiet, the, the rocks will cry out in praise. Folks, nothing brings glory down in the church on God's people as quickly and as powerfully as God's people unashamedly adore God's great son, Jesus Christ. That's not to minimize all that we're walking through that captures our mind with worry. No, it is understanding that we're being held in the palm of the hand by Almighty God in that. Let me show you what I mean. Step back in Acts 16. Paul and Silas were in prison. They had been beaten. They had been put in, pains, in chains. And at that moment... 
They could have defaulted to worry, to fear, to anxiety. Who would blame them? I mean, where do they see their hope? I would have done that. But what did they do? They worshiped. They prayed. They sang hymns, Acts 16, 25. And because they did, in those circumstances, read what happens. An earthquake came. The doors shook and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up. And the jailer, fearful for his own life, was about to take his own life. And they cried out and said, do not do that. And the jailer went to them and said, what must I do to be saved? For us, for you and me, when we worship God in the middle of those things that we worry about, the prison cells that we find ourselves in are opened. When we do that, we find that the other prison cells are not even locked. We find that the devil can't lock you in that cell anymore. As we worship and we praise, we open the door and we just walk out. And then you start trying the doors of the other prison of yours. And you find that they're not locked either. Jesus can set you free. And the Holy Spirit can break those chains. Worship, prayer, and praise. It isn't saying that life is easy. It's identifying that life is hard. Extremely hard. The circumstances are more than you can stand. It's saying that you're just not sure that you can go on. But God, but God, with him I can, I will make my next step. Two quick things about praise that I've been thinking about and I share with you. I've thought about praise and I've come to the understanding that in this praise, it's not begrudging submission where God is just trying to get us to submit, where we cry out uncle and say, okay, enough, God, I will do that. Not at all. What God is after is our joy in those things. Rejoice in the Lord again. I say rejoice. So if God is after our joy, I thought about that joy and how joy was part of King David's life. Early in his leadership, they brought the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem where it should have been. Ark of the Covenant represents the presence of God. And because the presence of God was there, David danced unashamedly. He didn't care what others thought. He didn't care what others might say. He just knew the presence of God was with him. And he just unashamedly danced before the Lord. And toward the end of his life, as he looked back on his life, he noted all the things that God had done in his life. And if David would write a worship song, it would be something like Matt Redmond's, that every blessing you pour out, I will turn back to praise. Or what we sang today, that Jesus, I sing for all that you have done for me. David never forgot who he was individually. Or what God had done in the past and what God would do in the future. He just had to unashamedly praise God. 
And so it's just answering the question for us in our praise outside of this place. Who is the Lord? And what does He want from me in what I am walking through that's causing me to worry? I may not be able to change the circumstances of the worry. But I can praise and I can worship God in them. And then I thought about what God's doing in this place. You see, at Getwell, here in this Family Life Center, I do not want us to take for granted all that God is doing in our worship. It's been a long time coming, but you can sense the freedom to worship God that's in this place. Because if you are nudged by God to stand in a song, you stand. You may be the only one standing, but you won't be judged. If you want to raise hands, you raise hands because you understand who you're praising. And if you just want to sit silent and not do any of that, you do that because it's a freedom of worship that we just adore God. And not many churches have that freedom. I do not want us to take for granted the freedom of worship and the praise that we have in this place where others may, where we feel like we're being judged by others. Again, our worship and praise is nothing more than bowing and prostrating ourselves before the one touching our forehead to the ground, surrendering to him and adoring him. That's what praise is. You see, the language of our worship is to Him. It is not about Him. And it's from the overflow of our heart to Him. And that means for me and hopefully for you that I will, will not, and I cannot contain my worship just to this place. That I'm going to live with an attitude of gratitude throughout my day and probably William Arthur Ward puts it best because he said, feeling gratitude and not expressing it is like wrapping a present and not giving it. Paul was telling these Philippians, you have anxiety, then you pray. You have worry, then you offer praise and worship. And Paul was reminding them that when you do, then here's the benefit that you will have. And it's verse 7, the peace of God that's transcends all understanding. Let's talk about the peace of God. What is the peace of God? Is Paul telling them when you prayer, when you have prayer, when you praise, when you worship, that you feel immediate, immediate tranquility, a sense of peace comes, that all the bad feelings go away? Not so. It may invoke that to an extent. But what Paul is saying is that God's peace is both powerful and it is aggressive. It is anything but peaceful. God's peace is anything but peaceful. For whom? For your enemy. For the devil that seeks to rob you of your peace. God's peace is powerful. In verse 7 it says that it transcends, it surpasses all understanding Transcends, that word means go beyond. It goes beyond your own understanding. You may feel like you're living in a whirlpool. 
of confusion and fear. You may feel like you're just holding on by a thread, but the moment you say, God, I trust you so much that I want to sing about it, you don't have to have all your stuff together. You don't have to have your emotions together. The peace of God is stronger than your turmoil. And it will come upon you even when everything else is crazy. No, the circumstances may not change, but you have an inward assurance, an anchor in your soul that you are being held by somebody that's greater than you. Folks, God doesn't need our help. He just needs our voice. And it's that simple. His peace is powerful. I wonder who in this place besides me in your worry just needs to sing out to the Lord today. His peace is powerful. Anyone? But it says his peace is aggressive. In verse 7, the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard what? Will guard your heart and your mind. That term will guard is a military term. Uh, the Philippians would be very aware what that means for them. Because there was a uh, Roman garrison, a military outpost, a huge garrison of soldiers that lived right outside Philippi. Philippi was very wealthy. It was an important community for Rome. And so with a whole garrison of soldiers, if anyone would dare to attack the city of Philippi, then that Roman garrison would come and fight for that city. And so they were very aware with that image. So you're saying to me that uh, this peace of God that transcends all understanding, that God will fight for me? Exactly. It will be just like those soldiers. They're ready in order to bring back the peace from the attack. And that's what God will do. When the enemy comes against you like a flood, Jesus said, this far and no more. You cannot have their peace. You cannot have their sanity. I'm going to give them calm. I'm going to give them peace. Because it's this far and no more. Jesus is fighting for you. He's fighting for your mind. He is fighting for your heart to have peace. He is committed to you. So the moment that you whisper his name, he hears you. He is for you. He's not against you. If the Lord is for me, who can be against me? But there's another small detail about God's peace that you need to know. When Paul uses the word peace in Philippians 4... He's referring to an Old Testament word, and that word is shalom. That Hebrew word shalom, it means well-being or wholeness. We may think that peace is lack of conflict. We may think that peace means no war, no fighting, but shalom means even in the fighting, even in the conflict, that we are not falling apart. It means you're not fractured, that you're being held together. You're not losing it, but you're actually being sustained. You're maintaining wholeness in your life. Paul is saying, God is not necessarily going to take away that conflict that you're walking through. You may feel like everything is falling apart, but God is going to keep you together. He's going to hold you together no matter what life 
looks like. It may be raging outside of you. It may be raging inside of you. Things going crazy, yet God will hold you together. Because the peace of God, it goes beyond your depression. It goes beyond your apprehension. It goes beyond your de- confession. God's peace, His shalom will hold you together. There's a divine arm that is saying, Bill, I see, but I've got you. God has a grip on you, and He is fighting for you, and He's holding you together. If the peace of God only means tranquility or it means lack of conflict, then we're missing the depth of what Paul is writing about here. Even when, even if, there's something that's greater holding me. The enemy cannot touch it. Enemy cannot take it away. I am no longer a slave to fear. That's God's shalom. God's peace is His promise to hold us together no matter what. He holds us together even when our world seems to be going to pieces. I, like you, I watch the news. And I know what's going on in my life. And there are a lot of things that cause us to worry. And I know that our country seems to be on a trajectory. I don't know how bad the, the Lord's going to allow it to be before we finally realize that we're a society that has just the foolishness of taking the Lord out of society. I don't know how long that's going to continue but you know he may be getting us trained for something else something that's beyond just our personal situation he may be getting us trained to understand that we're being held beyond all of what the world may bring And that is where we find our hope. Worry, fear, anxiety. Paul said, do not be anxious for anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to the Lord. Will you stand with me? We come to a time now, Lord, to outwardly express what inwardly we're dealing with. Thank you for what you're doing at Getwell. And on this day, gathered in this place, 
we realize we just have to cast our worry upon you because you do here. I don't know what others may need in this place. I know I just desperately need you. So you be evident today. And as we sing, Lord, as we sing, as we praise you, we sing to you and not about you. So you come and minister to your people right at that need that they may have. And it's in your name that I pray. Amen. As we sing this song, Altar Rails Rope, don't leave this place thinking I wish I would. I dream of the day, folks. Hear it get well. Not to coerce, but just to share with you that I dream of these altar rails just being packed full of we, His children, coming to our Father because He hears. If God leads you to that today, these altar rails are open. Let's sing.